0: Hello, friends, and welcome to Something to Talk About, a podcast where different women come together to talk about the Word of God and the various ways it applies to our lives. This season, we are talking about the Book of Acts and the works of Jesus through His Church and in His Kingdom. I'm Amber Barrett, and I am sorry to say that my co-host, Vanessa, is not able to join us today, but I'm very excited to be sitting around this table with Kelly House and Chelsea Martin. Welcome, ladies.
1: Thanks for having us.
0: It's good to be here. Well, both you ladies have husbands who are actively involved here at FPC. So as you introduce yourselves, tell us also a little bit about your husband's role in the church and what that looks like for your family. I'm going to let y'all go ahead and introduce yourselves and then we'll ask the first things first question.
2: Okay. I'm Kelly House. I am wife to DT, who is the pastor of student ministry here at the church. And we have three kids. Trip is 11 and in the fifth grade. Margaret Ann is nine and in fourth grade. And Charlie will be seven next week and in first grade. So um, I am... In my third career in life and just started last year teaching at Westminster here in town. And I teach eighth grade English and Bible.
0: I love you as a teacher. You're my Jack's teacher. <laughs> and you have been such an encouragement to him and mm-hmm. to me. And when I've sat in your room, I have thought you've made a little sanctuary in that middle school. Mm.
2: It's, it's been fun to create a new season of life Mm. there doing that Mm. so thank you
0: and you didn't mention the puppies (laughs)
2: well we are we're down to one puppy but our um golden retriever grace had eight puppies in january so we have been in the throes of uh raising a little litter of puppies but seven of the eight are gone and um we i think you're going
1: to end up with one Uh,
0: i was holding him yesterday chelsea and he is cute little Mm -hmm. fluffy cuddly Mm -hmm. ball of love he is
1: sweet um and my name is chelsea martin And I apologize, I have laryngitis today, so...
0: Perfect timing, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah, one day a year. Um, I'm praying that the Spirit amplifies my voice when I'm speaking truth and silences it when I'm not. Um, But I have been married to my husband, Brian, for 16 years. At one point, he was on staff with a church through the medical campus outreach ministry, but he is now serving as an elder. And we are parents to four daughters, ages 8 through 19, and we are also currently fostering a two-year-old boy. And I work part-time as an internist at Christ Community Clinic here in town.
0: How does that two year old little boy do with all the girls? He rules the roost. Does literally. he? Literally. Do Did they do they mother him?
1: Yeah. We joke that he has five moms and his um his little feet never
0: touch the ground. Mm. Sweet boy. That is He's sweet. the boss. He's yeah. the boss. The pampered boss. Isn't that what we all want to be? The uh, pampered boss? Yeah. That's fun. All right. Well, let's do our first things first question. And that question is what was the first cell phone you had and when did you get it? Kelly, start us off.
2: Okay. Um, I did not get my first cell phone until I was 18. I got it the week before I went to college. Uh, I tell this story. Often in the middle school, because my middle schoolers are horrified (laughs) that I would not have a phone until I was 18 years old. And so I have to go through how did and they ask me questions like, how did you know where to be or (laughs) how did you make plans? You know, and I, I have to tell them we actually picked up the landline phone you know the one with the the rolly cord that we had to call each other and make a plan and show up somewhere and hope that your buddy met you there um which they just think is crazy so it's funny but yeah i i didn't um i didn't have that and it was a nokia like candy bar phone you know with the attached antenna <laughs> oh, yeah, on it yeah. um, the one you paid for ringtones on we <laughs> laugh now that we used to actually pay money to have different ringtones on our phones so yeah
0: that is stuff. But I can picture those middle schoolers listening to you and thinking, "How did the world even work? How did you function or mm-hmm. survive?"
2: It's it's hilarious. They it really are like it doesn't like it doesn't even make sense. It's like
1: another world. Yeah. Cell phones used to be car phones and mobile phones. I don't know if you remember that. So my first cell phone was actually a car phone. When I turned sixteen, my parents let me use a car that had a car phone like mounted in that little middle console, and it was only for emergencies and. One time I actually was rear ended. And so that was the time to use that phone and the phone did not work. <laughs> so we never had a car phone again. Was it dead or what was it was, it, it was dead and gone, yeah. Oh,
0: oh, so wow. it's one function it, it failed to perform.
1: Yeah, it failed.
0: Oh, gosh. <laughs> I'm wondering if y'all are younger than me. You probably are because I didn't have mine until end of my college career, I believe. So I may be a few years older than y'all. And I came from a little town in Upland, Indiana, and we were not at the forefront of new technology. But I remember having it out of college. Maybe I had some access in college and I just don't remember. But I remember distinctly having it here in Augusta. I had gone to college in Columbia, South Carolina, and moved here. And I remember having one of those, the ones where the keyboard slid up. You know, and I remember standing in line at Brewster's and just being so amazed at these young kids who had these phones and they just were going so fast on the with their thumbs. Like, you remember how fast that used to be? And and there was all these. I can't even remember what it was, but you do this, type this, word, and it would turn into this word, or it would do whatever. And I kept practicing, like how are they moving their thumbs so fast? Mm-hmm. And thinking that is that is wild.
2: I remember in college, uh, so I got my phone my freshman year, right before my freshman year. But then my senior year was when, I guess my junior into senior year was when texting really took off. Um, but Texts cost money per text at that point, you know. And so I remember getting in huge trouble with my dad for running up a cell phone bill texting um, like hundreds of
0: dollars in text.
2: Um, So which can you even imagine that now? No.
0: Oh, no, no, no. We
2: function off of text. Right.
0: Yeah. The amount of money would be enormous.
2: Mm hmm hmm.
0: Well, I mean, cell phones have obviously dramatically increased the scope and frequency of our communication with one another. And it's given us lots of avenues through which to express our thoughts and opinions to one another. And sometimes this increased level of communication is great. And sometimes it's not so great. You know, it opens the door for a wider variety of really what you could say would be sharp disagreements and arguments and things that ultimately can prove to be destructive. And you know, for those of you who are listening today to what we're going to be talking about, you you may have been hurt at times by various disputes in your life, go, things going on around you, or possibly directed towards you. And it may you may not be super excited to realize that our passage for today, which is Luke chapter fifteen, verses one through thirty five, it does center around the first sharp dispute recorded in church history. If you haven't read these verses, if you're just listening to us, but you haven't read the passage, I really do encourage you to hit the pause button and read these verses for yourself and then come back and listen to our discussion. I think as you read, you will find from the passage and hopefully then from our discussion, that the dispute described here in Acts is a dispute of the best and most necessary kind. It's one whose resolution brought about great joy and unity within the rapidly expanding early church. Now the most important question to ask of this passage is what was the central issue at stake that caused Paul and Barnabas, and the passage describes it like this, to come into sharp dispute with some men from the church in Judea. So Kelly, what did you see in this passage? What's the answer to that question?
2: So in, um, really in the first verse of chapter 15, it states it pretty explicitly, it says, but some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So essentially this group of men was adding back onto the gospel, the traditional practice of circumcision by the Jewish legal system, um, along with faith in Jesus in order to be saved.
0: Exactly, yep. And that was particularly directed to the Gentiles who would not have been circumcised. That wasn't part of their culture. And it was part of the Jewish religious system, the law, to be circumcised. So you can sort of understand how they so long were operating under this system. And now they have come to faith in Christ and they think that now they're gonna overlay one system on top of another. And that is, so they're saying in order to be saved, it's faith by Jesus. Yes, it's also circumcision. And again, that's what draws Paul and Barnabas, it says, into sharp dispute. And I like the fact that how it says that it brought them into it. It's, It's like it was like it's reactive, like they couldn't help themselves. The reaction is swift, it's immediate, and it's drawn out by the importance of what they are about to defend. Which is like what you say, Kelly, it's the purity of the gospel. It's salvation by faith in Jesus alone with nothing else laid on top of it. And I think it helps to remember here context wise that the early church would have had plenty of things to come into dispute with one another over. You know, they're suffering persecution. They're under immense amounts of stress. Many of them were displaced from their homes. They're learning to live together as a community in new ways. They're being asked to see and love other people, groups, Gentiles, Samaritans, in radically transformed ways. They're learning what it means to die to self and live for Christ. They're electing church leaders. They're putting themselves under church authority. You, there had to have been disagreements, failures, failures complicated situations, all the things that we experience within the the church. And yet the only sharp dispute that we see covered in this kind of detail in this passage is one that centers around the purity of the gospel. Now, it was convicting to me as I read through this passage to think about things that I can get bothered by within the church, you know, issues that I might want to take with one thing or another. And I had to ask myself, am I drawn into sharp dispute for the sake of the gospel or for the sake of my personal preferences? And that can be a complicated Uh, answer at times and i think the lord reveals those things to us as we grow in faith what about y'all could you describe in general something in the church that you yourself had at one time been worked up about that the lord then showed you to not be quite as important compared to the supreme value of the gospel
1: so i'm just gonna dive right in and talk about the elephant in the room, which is COVID. So I had friends on one side who felt strongly that the church should operate as it always had. They would cite verses like Hebrews 10.25 that says, Let us not give up meeting together. Or 2 Timothy 1 seven, For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power. And I also had friends on the other side particularly those who were themselves vulnerable or had vulnerable family members, and they felt strongly that the church should implement aggressive measures to protect them or their loved ones. And they would cite verses like Acts twenty thirty five that says we must help the weak, or even the parable in Matthew 18, where the man leaves the 99 sheep to go look for the one. Um, and I honestly, myself, felt that things should have been done a little differently, but Here's the bottom line. No one was arguing that a mask or a vaccine would save or condemn your soul. Mm -hmm. And if they had, it would have been a gospel issue worth crying out against. Mm -hmm. Furthermore, I think that the conflict, um, any conflict when handled appropriately can strengthen a community. So in this particular example, we had ample opportunity to display love to our neighbor by listening and considering what they had to say. Um, In the Bible study, uh, George calls it mutual submission. Mm -hmm. Um, We heard more loudly the voice of the vulnerable in our community that is often silenced by the healthy and neurotypical majority. We were given the opportunity to ask ourselves deep heart questions such as who or what do we place our trust in? And how do we demonstrate Christ's love to an unbelieving world by the way that we love one another? So God is really redemptive, even in the midst of our conflict.
0: Mm -hmm. I like that you bring out the fact that people hold to different views for different reasons that are very tender and important and necessary to them. But it gets complicated uh, because there's not a clear directive within scripture that says that applies directly to COVID, right? When this happens, do this. And so you have to take the wisdom of scripture and learn how to apply that to a completely new situation. And you're doing that as a as a group who has different perspectives and different opinions and different needs and different desires. And while it may not be, an absolute gospel issue, I love what you bring out, is that it, it, it does bring out, though, how we apply the gospel to our hearts and how we care about one another and how we express ourselves and what we put our trust in and all those sorts of things. So I think it shows that a dispute or a difference can be really important within the body as we learn then to apply the gospel to our hearts as we work through something like that. But yeah, to make, to have said, if you're not doing this, then you obviously are not a Christian or you're obviously cannot be a believer. That would have been compromising.
1: Yeah. And I think it even helps when we are asking ourselves, can I still be a member of this community when I disagree with them on this aspect or that the answer is, well, it depends on, on what you disagree about.
0: Mm-hmm. Very much so. what do you think Kelly?
1: Um, The
2: example that came to my mind immediately when I was considering this question was, I remember when DT had his first pastoral assignment. We lived in Houston, um, Texas, and I had two little babies, Tripp and Margaret Ann, our only just under 20 months apart. Um, And so he, for the first time, was working on Sunday mornings, and I was scrambling to get these two little babies to church. Um, And I can remember like rushing from the service to the nursing room and then to get the toddler who was a runner, um, and just having this deep sense of frustration with just church in general, the times of the services, how in the world am I supposed to be in Sunday school? At this hour, don't they know it's nap time? Don't they know that my baby is on this schedule where she has to nurse at these particular hours? And just, and really it was my emotions, my own emotions um, overlaid on top of something that was not a personal decision that the church had made about times of services or whatever. But in my mind, I was thinking, do they care? Do they see me? Do they see how hard this is? And Obviously, in the grand scheme of things now, even in perspective, I can see that that is certainly small compared to the supreme value of the gospel. But um, the Lord just over over the last, I'm, I guess it's been seven, or eight years since DT has started in pastoral ministry, has just brought some perspective to me um, several years in um, in partnership with him where I can see things on this side that I could not see prior to um, him stepping into that role. Um, And just a few things that the Lord has used to tender me. um, One is that the issues that are brought to our church leadership, they do matter. Um, They're not Mm -hmm. taken lightly. Uh, They are considered. People do care. um, And those that are in authority hold those positions with humility. So when issues come on the table, they handle them with grace and with humility and with a tenderness to the way that they're asked to shepherd through those things. And so I think I just have realized there is a thorough and biblical process um, that our governing structure goes through to make decisions in the church. And it is trustworthy, even if I don't agree. The Lord has designed it in such a way that... Even if I'm not um, fully on board, I can trust what he's given us because of the call he's put on those people's Mm -hmm. lives.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's that's a hard one in some ways, because we're still human beings, you know, even Mm -hmm. in leadership in the church, which means our understanding is limited. Mm -hmm. Our motives can be mixed. um, But you're right. the, The intent and the leadership within that governing body is very much so out of humility, prayerfully with one another, considering, like you said, those issues carefully and, and wanting to hear and to understand. It doesn't mean that they'll always get it right or they'll always hear it the right way or that there won't be hurt. I think that's, you know, just with John being in leadership, seeing that as we go along that In leadership, you look back and you think, I wish I would have done that different. I wish I would have said that different. I don't think that actually ended up being the right choice. And to trust the sovereignty of God within a broken, in some ways, systems, because it's broken humankind, but it's underneath his sovereign hand and he works redemption through it. That's been something that's been encouraging to me. And I think when I, before John really got involved in in ministry, it was easy for me. I grew up in the church. I went to Bible school. I had a degree in Bible teaching. And it was tempting for me to think I knew what the right answer for a lot of things was Mm. and to think that that right answer was relatively simple. And why don't you just make that choice? Obviously, you should make that choice and did not understand the complications of things or what it's like to really have to responsibly put that choice into action in a church. And, And it's very difficult. And I remember thinking, oh, my word. It is not as easy as just in my mind that I was making it to decide one thing or, or another. And, um, and I like what you said too, just about the emotion of a thing mm-hmm. that it makes it feel so personal. I have mm-hmm. had that feeling before. Like I am convinced you were out to get me. I mm-hmm. know you are. And the Lord sometimes has to peel back those layers and, and show me why am I so tender about that? It's not wrong to be tender about something, but why do I want to go out attacking someone and blame for this thing that I'm feeling so, so tender about?
2: Well, that just makes me think too of generally when my preferences, if they rile me to the point of anger, um, it is revealing about what matters and mm-hmm. you know, or what, um, is motivating or driving me. Um, and I I can, it's it's just sort of a trigger for me. If it is to the point of making me angry, then it's worth me taking a minute to think about, am I really leaning into preference or can I look at this in the perspective of the whole?
0: Yeah. Um, so, yeah. yeah, the whole church, the mm-hmm. whole body. Mm-hmm. And then ultimately the whole perspective of, of the Lord best we know and see it and how the gospel fits, fits into that because it's not wrong within the church to have concerns that aren't directly gospel related, like that aren't as clear cut as what those um, men from Judea were teaching as far as you have to be circumcised on top of this very clear cut gospel plus something else. Oftentimes it's not that clear cut and we do have concerns and I think it's okay that we have concerns. But I think when we know that our church is upholding the gospel and we value and appreciate and uphold that together as a church, there is a unity then that can withstand some of the differences. It gives us perspective on how important our concern is or isn't, how immediately it should or shouldn't be addressed, what happens to us if it's not addressed in the way we would want it to be. I just think the gospel priority helps to put things in place, gives us the ability to be patient, to wait, even to have some things unanswered uh, because we're together in that most important of things. But you know, so some disputes they can be overlooked at times. We can and choose to say I'm going to overlook this or I'm going to put this on the back burner for a period of time. But that's not the case with disputes that are clearly related to the purity of the gospel. And I think that's what we see in this passage is that the implicit command in these verses is that when the gospel is threatened, we have to take action. And how we go about that matters. And fortunately, within these verses, they have a lot to say about how to dispute over gospel matters. You know, what stood out to y'all in these verses about how the church took action to ensure that the gospel wouldn't be compromised?
2: Two things stood out to me. Um, the first is that Paul and Barnabas did not go rogue and try to address this on their own. They ended up they weren't independent. They went immediately to the apostles so Peter and James are mentioned and then the elders of the church um, in Jerusalem to address this and it says they had fervent debate Mm -hmm. you know and I love that because it shows us that there is room to hear Mm. different perspectives Um, but their goal was that there would be a unified decision about how to move forward with the body of apostles and elders Um, because it could have been you know, this issue could have divided the church from there forward. You know, it could have been landed with two camps and ended up with this pro circumcision conservative Jewish wing um, and then a more liberal Gentile wing of the church. But if you look through like verse 24, the, the message of the pro circumcision group is described as a message that troubled them. They troubled with their words and it unsettled their minds. But Paul's message, um, which was backed by Peter and James, who used scripture to back to justify why they um, supported Paul's message, his message strengthened and unified is what verse 41 tells us, and which, which kind of leads us to believe the gospel le- should lead us to unity. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, that should be then grounded in um, the authority of Scripture. That council they weren't there to sort of change the course on their own. They didn't have the authority to act outside of the bounds of, of scripture Mm -hmm. and so they came together i love that picture of the the people who were called into those positions of authority acted together to defend what
0: god had lined up in his word to move forward yeah i love that too just that they like you said, that they came together, they discussed together, they valued each other's insights that they had, even up to that point, they had steeped themselves in the knowledge of God's word. And so now they're coming together to learn how to apply it to this particular situation. What do you think, Chelsea?
1: Well, I just want to piggyback on the importance of the end result being actually greater unity. Because what initially jumped out to me is how um, non-confrontational I am And that's not what we see here. And a lot of times I kind of trick myself into thinking that being non-confrontational is good. Mm. But in this instance, that confrontation, that debate was actually needed to reach a consensus to move towards peacemaking. And um, just like Cleo was saying, if they hadn't had that discussion, which was heated at times, there actually might have been schism that— could have remained permanently. I mean, that may have left us even wondering today if circumcision was required for salvation. Mm.
0: Yeah, too often with myself, I make it personal. Like, I would love to not think that that's the case, but it is. If I'm on one side of an argument, I want that side to be right because I personally want to be right. But that they weren't fighting for their name, their view, their whatever. They were fighting for what they believed God had revealed to be true. And it wasn't, Personal in that sense to them it wasn't about them; it was about what the Lord, what the Lord was saying. And I like how both of you mentioned the fact that they backed that up with Scripture, and that the goal is unity, and that they weren't seeing those brothers themselves maybe as the enemy, but saying this message, this convoluted message, uh, we are opposed to it. We're going to be strongly opposed to it for the benefit of the of the church. I liked to how when they came to a conclusion. They all agreed to it. And I thought, you know, those men who still differed Hmm. were part of that group that came to that conclusion. And whether their minds were completely convinced or whether they came under submission to the majority, we don't necessarily know, but we know that when they made the decision, they made it together, which is wonderful when it happens that way. And that when they communicated the decision to the Gentile believers, who were in a sense at the focal point of this discussion and knew that this discussion was going on about them. They were so personable with it. They didn't just sort of, they did send them a letter, but it wasn't just a distant sort of dictate. It was very personal. They sent it personally. Two of them actually took it and they lived in their midst and continued to stay and to teach and to encourage the believers. And so It's not just handing down mandates or opinions or judgments, but it's very personally giving them to the people in such a way that they find themselves encouraged and instructed and helped along the way. Could y'all give a practical example then? Those are some of the things that stood out to us from this passage. Have you seen those things take place in real time in a church that you've been involved in? So DT's second pastoral
2: assignment, we were at a church that had very recently left a mainline denomination. And um, the reason for their departure from that denomination was it started from uh, their deviation away from the inerrancy of Scripture. And the particulars of that were... um, rooted in marriage and sexuality human sexuality and so um, this is a historical 150 year old very traditional church um, and so in choosing to step out of that denomination there is a significant financial loss to the church there's significant relational breaks um, that the you know they lost members uh, but the the timing of when we came in um, to that situation, it was really beautiful to see how God healed their body by drawing them back to the core devotion to the inerrancy of scripture and to see a group of elders rally back around that foundation and rebuild their body mm-hmm. um, and their sense of unity with each other while they differed, certainly in some of their applications, um, the core, they had to realign themselves in a way and present in a unified front to their church and lead their church through a very disruptive um, split. And so, like I said, our timing was interesting because we got to be there as they were rebuilding. And it truly was an experience of seeing the Lord restore the joy of salvation Mm. to a group of people. I mean, there were some who were lifelong members of that church members, I say that loosely, who came to faith in Jesus as there was a return to the true gospel, return to a Commitment to teaching the word of God um, and respect for that, and while there certainly was woundedness in the mix, God ultimately brought that church into a space of um, healing through that process.
0: So it's encouraging to hear how that that unity was rebuilt because I do think sometimes the fear can be a particularly in our culture where we very much value acceptance or, um, inclusion and the thought of disagreeing with somebody mm-hmm. means that you are antagonistic or you're opposed or you're judgmental. Like th- it's hard to hold those two together. I have a differing opinion, but I love you. And so what gets held up at, at the highest is that we all get along no matter what we, it doesn't matter what we believe as long as we all get along. So all get along trumps any Mm. sort of actual truth.
2: Well, the other piece, as you were just saying that, that came to my mind is that idea that the all get along, you know, we'll all get along and hold that as the highest thing. It it doesn't hold water because we'll all get along until we don't, right? (laughs) Until the next thing comes along that is divisive, which is why it it is so backwards. It feels like to start with um, God's way versus my way, but the thing that holds traditionally over the course of God's redemptive history of the world is God's way, which is lined up for us in scripture. And so having that uh, foundational commitment to what the Bible holds up for
0: us is the only thing that holds water. Yeah, Yeah. it's a foundation. Mm -hmm. It's not shaken circumstantially. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, So it's funny that um, my answer to this question is somewhat related, but from a different angle. It was really encouraging to me back in 2015 when our church did the McKnight lectures about sexuality and sexual brokenness. And one thing that was encouraging was that they weren't shying away from these controversial topics that do seem to be dangerous to the church. If you're not a believer, they look like they are threatening the the big C church at large. And yet we know that there's no threat that can come against the church that God is not authoritative over. Um, So I appreciated that we didn't shy away from discussing that topic as a body. Um, But I also appreciated that um, in some of his closing remarks at the conclusion of the McKnight lectures, again, the gospel was prioritized. And George had this to say in the closing video. It said, you are more than your sexuality that is not your identity you are made in the image of god and that image is being restored to you through christ and just reminds us that a lot of these others are a lot of these issues are ancillary when compared with who we as individuals are as reflections of God's image as beings with a soul that God has redeemed through Christ and continues to be at work at doing that in the lives of those around us. Mm.
0: And the deeper we understand that the less threatened we are, like you said, to discuss some of those things that might be opposed to that or variations of that or are harming that image in someone else we have the confidence to talk about those things and to walk through those things with one another. And again, not feel threatened, you know, when we think that this sort of church or religion or whatever is something that we've constructed, that we hold together, that we have a set of rules that we follow and if we don't do it just like this, it's all gonna fall apart. Instead of saying, no, we stand witness to a work that Jesus has done. Mm -hmm. We understand more deeply what it is and it's his to uphold, it's his to protect, he will protect it, we just have to stand as his witnesses. And I think that that allows us to love those who are opposed to us, to not be threatened by them, to not succumb, but to not have to feel like we're fighting them, we're standing for what is true and trusting the Lord to do his redemptive work through us. And I think that allows us to be soft and it allows us to talk, like you said, through some of those things that need to be talked about. And we need to to figure out what it looks like to be his witnesses in this world in, in a loving way that makes, that makes a difference. Paul says this when he's talking at the end. To those who would make circumcision a condition of salvation he says why do you try to test god by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear no we believe it is through the grace of our lord jesus that we are saved just as they are so the grace of the lord jesus is what we stand for because the grace that grace and that grace alone is what has brought us salvation and y'all, it's really been a privilege to talk to y'all today and to hear different perspectives of the same desire and love for the purity of the gospel and the way it impacts our lives in so many different ways. So thank y'all for taking the time to think through that, to speak honestly, uh, to speak wisely. And listeners, if you want to see the pretty faces of our guests today, you can check us out on women's our Women's Bible Study Facebook page at Women's Bible Study FPCA or find us on instagram at firstpresagusta women we'd love for you to join us again next week you can take us out by the fire for one last little jaunt before it gets hot or perhaps keep us with you as you do a little bit of laundry we're going to be sitting with nicole novak and april coleman to talk about liberating grace we hope you listen in sometimes a life surprises the christian while she sings it is the lord who rises with healing in his wings when comforts are declining he grants the soul again a season of clear shining to cheer it after the rain